0: Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for just a reminder of who Jesus is this morning. God, we thank you for an incredible, beautiful weekend that we've been able to hopefully be outside to be able to do some things. God, also just thank you for the ways that our congregation has been uh, obedient to serve others uh, over the past week God, in our own local schools, uh, God, in Greensboro, uh, God, in putting on tarps, helping out folks, God, in bringing in school supplies uh, for teachers in Greensboro, God, just so many things. We're thankful that you've given us the resources, but thank you most of all for the attitude of, of just obedient generosity in our people to, to do those things. So God, be with us now as we enter your word, as we continue to look at, God, just the fighting words, the power of your scripture. Um, as it intersects and as it leads into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys be seated. We we began a new series a few weeks ago um, examining the idea that we are in a spiritual battle every moment of every day. Uh, and since we're in a battle that we've got to put on the armor and so what we talked about from the beginning is that we need to to learn and one of the ways that we can be prepared for battle is to learn some fighting words and we that's another word for memorizing scripture all right for you to learn some scripture for you to place those things in your lives so when you're in the middle of a battle and in the middle of a spiritual fight you're ready for it and you're prepared for it and you've got these words in your heart and so if you're new with us this morning we're going to review some verses this morning uh, and you may not know them and somebody beside you may have memorized them so don't feel pressured that you don't have them memorized alright so we're going to put them on the screen but if you've been with us try saying these without looking at the screen alright with me now, I know it's hard to do it's like screen 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 alright all right, John 10 10 was where we started the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that you may have life and have it abundantly that was our beginning that was our start of saying we are in a fight and we are up against an enemy and he has the desire to kill to steal and destroy but we have an adversary in Jesus Christ who's come to give us life and not just any life but life abundantly and then we looked at the idea of fear we looked at Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 and that was our verse for that week fear not fear not for I am with you, be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All right? Let's give that one one more shot. All right, I think we need a little re, re, booster shot of that one. Ready? Fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. See, I learned it differently when I was growing up, all right? So we've deep into the commitments of memorizing, of examining different ideas and different fights. And last week, we jumped into one that I think everybody in the room, I could tell being up here preaching. And I want to say this to you. Last Sunday, um, I, I, I don't get a chance to just take a break and say this. Last Sunday, you guys were so attentive. Uh, as we talked about forgiveness. And I think a lot of it is the weight of the subject matter, of the idea of forgiveness that's been offered us in Jesus Christ and then the gift that we have to give that to other people. So thank you so much just for zooming in maybe you were sleeping i don't know with your eyes open but it felt like you were tuned in last week well this is our verse for last week i didn't make it real clear we had so much that we covered last week uh somebody somebody texted me this week and said did we have fighting words for this week um and i was so excited that they were at least asking but then i realized maybe they didn't know what the fighting words were all right so it was ephesians 4 32 ephesians 4 32 say this with me be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. See, I'm sorry I memorized it different. I'm trying not to look at the screen. It's hard. There's one right in front of me too, all right? So let's try it one more time. Just a review. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we looked at this overriding point last week, that forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. Forgiveness being the decision to cancel a debt. And several of you texted me and asked me and said, or asked me in the lobby after the service, did you preach that message just for me? Uh, Yes and no. Yes in that I know if I've struggled with something that there's probably somebody else in the room that struggled with it, so I preach from that standpoint. No in that I don't know the specifics of your unforgiveness, all right? Uh, would never do that, use that as a sermon illustration unless it was really, really good, all right? <clears throat> Just kidding, some of you will get that in a minute. One of the deadliest battles, though, that I want us to examine today is the battle of comparison. The battle of comparison. It is all around us. Sometimes we compare ourselves to someone that we look up to that they seem to have more. Sometimes we may compare, compare ourselves and look down upon somebody and say, well, at least I'm not there, Comparison is all around us, and it starts when we're really, really young. Comparison, when you're young, uh, he has, she has nicer shoes than me. They have newer, maybe some of you faced this recently, some of you young people in the room, you say, man, they've got nicer sporting equipment, they've got better golf clubs, better softball bats, better whatever sport you're playing, they've got better than I have. They have a newer phone, they've got not a six, not a six. Okay, some of you know my reference, all right. They don't have an iPhone 6. They got an 8. No, wait, they got a 10, all right, or an X or whatever it's called, right? Or, or you say when you're young, the, well, my friends, their parents have a nicer house or nicer cars, And then you become a teenager, and you think, "Oh, I'm done comparing." No, you're just getting warmed up, right? You're just getting warmed up. Somebody's more popular than you are. They don't have to work, and they have a nicer car. They have newer clothes. Maybe for you, they got a bigger truck. All right, depending on what kind of car you like, what you like to drive. And then it continues the post-high school era. Well, they have a job. They're going to what school? How can they afford that? They're engaged already. They're married? They bought what? Andy Stanley calls comparison the game of errs. Someone is always richer, smarter, quicker, healthier. And it only continues. One of the hardest comparison traps that we face is parenting. If you're in the room and you've got little kids, maybe you even got grandkids, parenting is one giant comparison vacuum their kids are faster their kids scored better on the test their kids get in less trouble than mine their kids are homeschooled no their kids are public school no their kids are private school how can they afford that school they drive what they went where on vacation don't worry it doesn't stop just because you kids grow up your kids grown up you're getting close to retirement age, and they're, you're saying things like, they're retiring at what age? How can they afford that? What did they do to get richer, quicker to retirement than I did? Their grandchildren accomplished what? And there's other things that we can do very little about. As you get older, they've, they've never had surgery. They don't take as much medicine as I do. Right? I mean, all these things we begin to compare. And so today I want us to examine a detrimental, sinful battle driven by envy, driven by pride, and we find ourselves at various stages of life, and it is comparison. It's a battle with pride. It's a battle of control and trust in the Lord. So our fighting words for this week, I want to make sure we get to them. Our fighting words for this week are Galatians, is Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, and it says this, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Say this with me, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's your fighting words to memorize, to put in your heart, to put on your mirror, to put somewhere. But today I want us, as we could look at so many passages of Scripture today, I want to go to another parable. A parable is an opportunity where Jesus teaches usually a deeper truth, but he teaches it in such a way that people that are listening can comprehend it. Because we need some help, right? So the disciples often were the receivers of these messages, of these parables. And at one point, Jesus is giving a parable, and he's teaching. And here's what he says. If you want to look in Luke chapter 18, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 this morning. Should have given that to you earlier. It says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Notice what Jesus is addressing here. He's addressing pride and arrogance and boasting in accomplishments, but this parable teaching is slightly different than other parable teachings. Most of the time when Jesus teaches parables, he's saying something that they can learn for the future. Hey, let me give this truth to you. Put it in your heart. Put it in your mind. Somewhere down the line, you're going to run into this situation. Be ready for it. But notice in this one, he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he's not speaking hypothetically here. He's looking right at a group of people and he's saying, you have a problem with contentment. You have a problem with comparison you have a problem with pride, you have a problem with arrogance, so let me break this down for you. And here's what he says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now in this society, you could not put two people at a further distance from each other. The Pharisee was the religious leader, he'd been trained, he'd been taught, he'd been prepared, He was ready. He was spiritual. And then in that culture, the tax collector, often when we read about it in the New Testament, has extreme negative connotations. And so you have the Pharisee over here. You've got the tax collector over here. So he's got their attention. The righteous man and the unrighteous man. And here's what Jesus continues to say. He says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. Now, your translation may read slightly different. It may say the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. The Pharisee stood by himself, maybe in the NIV, and prayed. Or the King James says the, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. The wording implies this. Picture this, the parable. Jesus is teaching, and he's comparing. Pharisee, tax collector. Pharisee is over here, all by himself, praying to himself about himself, for himself. I see all the people over there. I'm over here. I'm righteous. I'm trained. I'm scholarly. I'm academic. I know the rules. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And they're over there. And it shows up in full force. He says, God, I thank you That I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, are even like this tax collector. What he's saying is, oh Lord, I'm so glad I'm not that guy. I'm so glad I'm not that guy. We've got to be careful when we begin to examine others and compare ourselves to others. Comparison, one of the things, the danger of comparison is that it delivers an impartial view of ourselves. As we're looking at others, it gives us an impartial view of ourselves. I'm glad I'm not like other people in my life. Now notice what Jesus does here. This Pharisee, he could have picked a million different people to use as the example of what he doesn't want to be, but he goes to the furthest ends of society. He doesn't just say, well, I sure I'm glad I'm not like that guy standing beside me who's not as good of a Pharisee as me. No, he goes to the outer reaches of society. He said, I'm glad I'm not an extortioner. I'm glad I'm not in the mafia, right? I'm glad I'm not that guy. I'm glad I'm not involved in blackmailing other people for my purposes. That's an extortioner. And then he says, I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. I'm glad I'm not unjust. I'm glad I'm not like, well, you you see him over there? The tax collector. Jesus says, I'm glad I'm not that person. Comparison also allows us to focus on the faults of others while we overlook our own. Church, listen to me. This is so difficult for every single one of us, myself included. When we begin to compare, when the Pharisee begins to compare, he starts looking over there, he's thinking in his mind, I'm glad I'm not an extortioner, I'm glad I'm not an adulterer, I'm glad I'm not unjust, I'm glad I'm not that guy, because man, I know what tax collectors represent in our society. They're immoral, they're illegal. I sure am glad I'm not that guy, but does that mean the Pharisee thinks he's got it all together? Yeah. Whenever comparison sneaks into conversations that Emily and I have, and they do happen. One of us will say, I sure am glad you're perfect. It makes me so mad. It makes me so angry, right? It just stops whatever you're saying. It just takes all the fun out of comparison, right? Well, I'm glad you're perfect. Because what comparison does, listen, it allows us to say, well, I'm sure, I'm glad I don't have that issue in my marriage, or that problem in my parenting, or that problem in my job, or that health issue, while we are overlooking the faults of ourselves. It's an imbalanced, improper view of us. So here's what he begins to do He says, I'm glad I'm not that guy, and I'm over here praying by myself, and he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I think Jesus could have continued with this illustration and added to that because other times we see descriptions of the Pharisees from Jesus speaking about them very clearly. He would have added some to this message here, but for the parable's sake, he just says, "Here's what this guy does next." I'm glad I'm not that guy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I've got a nicer robe. I don't look like that. I'm not standing over there by myself as we're gonna see in just a moment in the parable. You know what he's doing right here? He's giving us his highlight reel, isn't he? He's giving us his highlight reel. He's standing over here to the side. He's not gonna pour out his confession. He's not gonna pour out his faults. So what does he do? Well, I give twice a week and I give my tithe and I pray a lot. I've got my robe. I've got my look. I've got the attention of the other Pharisees. We have great spiritual conversation. Everything's kind of going our way. He's given us his highlight reel. My neighbor has this really cool channel during football season. Uh, I'm just cheap, all right? He has this really cool channel called the Red Zone Channel. Um, Anybody in the room have Red Zone Channel? I just want to know whose house to come to on Sunday nights during NFL, all right? I'm serious, I'll come. It is the coolest channel because of the, if you don't know how this works, at the end of Sunday more, uh, afternoon in the late game, the four o'clock game, about 7.30 in the evening, they, they put all the touchdowns from all the day in order in which they happen and they press play and you get to watch the whole thing. You don't even have to watch the football games. You can watch the best moments of every single game in five to seven minutes. And so he'll call me and will go, hey man, the red zone's about to come on. I'm like, all right, sweet. And I'll run across the road and I'll sit on his couch and I'll like enjoy his cable that he's paying for. I'll go, man, this is great. It's the highlight reel. It's everything that you want someone to see and we do it all the time. It's called social media. My vacation's better than yours. My new car is cooler than yours. My kid won the award and it's better than yours. And we don't call it that. And I post them too. But we post our highlights. We post the moments that we go, man, I I sure want somebody else out there to know what I'm doing. We sure want someone to see the highlights. Very rarely, very rarely do you see someone posting that they're laid up in the hospital and they've been sick for seven days. Hey, look at this, I look terrible. No, we post put the highlight reel. And this is what this guy is doing. He's saying, listen, I pray twice a week. I fast twice a week. I give my money. And it's really difficult when you go back and look at this passage of scripture. Verse 12 says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. If you go back and read verse 11, he says I twice. It's hard to fit the word I in, in three sentences five times, right? I, 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 I. Let me tell you all that I've done. Comparison allows us to focus on the faults of others while we overlook our own faults and we have an impartial view of ourselves. But here's what we know, and you know this. Comparison never has a winner. There's no winner in comparison. Have you ever been in a conversation where somebody one-ups you? Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, right? Because we've all been one-uppers at some point in our lives as well. You're just waiting. Somebody says something about their kids and you're going, oh, I got a better one. Your kid got A on a roll. My kid got A plus on a roll seven years in a row. You just wait. Just stop talking and I'm going to fill it in. You know who's the worst about one-uppers? Preachers. Preachers are the worst one-uppers there are in the world, all right? We had our highest Easter summer numbers ever. What about you? I preached for 49 minutes last week and nobody fell asleep. That's usually a liar, just so you know. I baptized 4,000 people one Sunday, and I did the Lord's Supper with the other hand, and while I was doing baptism, I also performed a wedding all at the same time. What about you? What was your Sunday like? We love to want to, I mean, that's what conventions are for. It's just the one upper convention. Can I just share with you the greater things that I'm doing so that you feel less about what you're doing? Can I just allow us to compare for a moment? But guess what happens? You don't win, and the other person doesn't win. It leaves us in a condition of looking down upon someone else, making light of their accomplishments. Or we improperly place success on us and not what God has done and is doing. If you compare your marriage to another marriage, there's no winner. If you say, honey, I sure wish we were, I wish we were more like that couple. Well, they don't even know it. And now your spouse begins to try to compare themselves to the other spouse so they figure out, well, what do I need to do differently to be like them? There's no winner. Your kids. Let me just say this to your parents. Don't ever look at your kids and say, well, if you were more like their kids, it'll never win. It'll sink in their minds. It'll sink in their hearts. And they'll hear your voice the rest of their lives saying, I wish you were somebody else. Your family, your retirement plan. Man, I wish I could stop. I don't know how they did it. Comparison never has a winner. Comparison also steals joy. Comparison steals joy. I love this verse from Scripture. It says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, But envy makes the bones rot. Read that with me. A tranquil heart, peaceful heart, gives life to the flesh. But envy makes the bones rot. It steals the joy. At the heart of comparison is a seed of envy. That has grown into comparison, that has grown into greed, that can no longer be joyful, that can no longer rejoice in what God has blessed you with. And it leads us standing over on the side going, I sure am glad I'm not that guy. And as Jesus introduced this passage, they they were treating others with contempt or disapproval. Comparison steals joys, but it also corrupts his calling. It also corrupts calling. And, and I, was, I was thinking through this passive scripture. I was talking through this passive scripture. And, and one of my children actually said, well, you know, Dad, corrupt, comparison corrupts calling. I was like, wow, son, that was awesome. I'm going to use that Sunday. And I said, how so? We started talking and you, listen, this Pharisee had the training and the education and all that he needed spiritually to impact his community for good. But it had snuck in, comparison, greed, envy had snuck in, and now all he could do was stand around and pray to himself, about himself, for himself, and declare, I, 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 I. The Pharisee was the king of self, making much of self. So let's look at the other guy. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Picture this with me. Tax collector. I, 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 I. Oh, guys, look at me. I'm not that guy. And over to the side, the guy that he's looking down upon is over there going, I can't even. I imagine him standing over to the side kicking a rock that's loose there in the temple grounds and he's looking down and he's, and he's kicking and he says, God, just be merciful to me. Give me what I do not deserve. Please forgive me, I'm a sinner. I can't even look up at you. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, made right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble but the one who humbles himself will be exalted fighting comparison i want us to see from this gentleman and other scriptures how we can fight comparison trust in the mercy of god not the success of man trust in the mercy of god not the success of man our parable gives us two men, one who focuses completely on stacking up his accomplishments, the other one who is depending his entire life on the mercy and the grace of God he 's standing off by himself, going, "God, please show me mercy, God, please show me grace i'm a sinner, please help me." Jesus says, this man went home, vindicated, justified, set free, debt canceled, get out of here. He goes home no longer with his his head held down from sin, but walking around going. I have experienced the grace of God. He doesn't say, I've got more money than the Pharisee. He is humbly asking for a judge, a gracious, just God, to judge and to forgive his debt, his sin, to cancel his debt. This is a reminder from Jesus that the heart he is seeking is the heart of someone who is humble, who is broken, Who is seeking his mercy. Fighting comparison begins with admitting sin and trusting in a Savior. This morning, you you may not even be able to fight the, the spirit of envy and greed and comparison because you've never trusted in a forgiving God. And this morning, I just want you to know there's a God in heaven who desires for you with your head down and your heart broken, kicking away, looking down, saying, God, would you please forgive me? I'm not like the next guy. Awesome. I don't want you to be. God, I have sinned. I know you have. God, show me mercy. Admit that you've sinned. And trust the Savior. If you haven't done that today, that is our primary reason for meeting on Sunday. Is that you would commit your lives to Jesus Christ. Admit you're a sinner. And you want to trust the Savior. There's some other ways for us that we can fight comparison. Be comfortable and content in who you are in jesus christ be comfortable and content in who you are in jesus christ i came across a verse in in preparing for today that just blows me away it says this in isaiah the prophet isaiah says woe to him who strives with him who formed him a pot among earthen pots does the clay say to him who forms it what are you making or your work has no handles i know you're going what in the world is this guy talking about One of my favorite stores in Lexington is a little store called Missions Pottery. I love, I've been in there before and I've watched Tommy throw some pots and and do all those kind of things. And you know what I've never seen? I've never heard a lump of clay jump up and look at him and say, man, I don't want to be a vase. I'd like to be a nativity, not a vase. I I don't want to be a plate. I don't want to be a bowl. I I don't want to be a bird feeder. I want to be something else. And here's what the prophet's saying. He says, be content in who you are. It would be the same as a piece of clay saying, hey, what are you making me in? Why don't you give me some handles? It's the same thing of us looking at someone else and saying, why didn't you make me blonde haired? Why didn't you make me blue eyed? Why didn't you make me taller? Why didn't you make me smarter? Why didn't you give me the ability to do something different? Why don't you put some handles on this? Why don't you... Do something different. It's looking in the face of the creator and say, I don't think you got this right. Why don't you put handles on this? Are you sure this is what you wanted me to be? By God's grace, you are blue-eyed, brown-eyed, blonde hair, black hair. You speak with a draw. You're confident in crowds. You're shy. You stand in the back of the room. You'll pick up trash when nobody else sees it. You'll arrange worship guides. You'll wash windows. You love children. You love students. You have patience to run a machine and a plant all day long. You can build anything. I can break anything. God has given you a big family. He's given you a small family. You love to learn and can't wait to go to the classroom tomorrow. And you know God's preparing you to teach others. You can't wait until after graduation. So you never have to step foot in school again. I didn't expect an amen, but we got one. You've been plagued with illness. God, why'd you put, why don't you put a different handle on me? You have an attitude to persevere. You understand how to help people. You have learning disabilities but you're compassionate to those in need. You can't sing, but you can worship in prayer and become an example of obedience. When we compare, we're saying, God, I wish you created me more like her. Could you put handles on this? You're the potter, I'm the clay, but if I could just get you to change this around a little bit, then what does that do when the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 139, 12, one translation says i praise you because you made me an amazing and a wonderful way what you have done is wonderful and i know this very well we've got to be content in who god has created us and who jesus christ is continuing to shape us to become every single one of us myself included have to continue to grow in contentment because comparison and contentment cannot coexist they cannot coexist Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned that in whatever state I am, be content. The psalmist wrote about us being content in Christ as did the prophet Isaiah. Paul said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't you love that? By the grace of God, I am what I am. This is not an excuse to use our faults, all right, to to say, I'm sorry, I can't fix that. I am what I am. I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I am what I am. You are exactly who God has created you to be. By God's grace, you are what you are. I trust the mercy of God to save me. I trust the grace of God to use me. I believe God has me exactly where he wants, how he wants, the way he needs me. We read in 1 Peter, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, and now you are God's people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I don't have time to unpack this verse. You can write that down, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But here he's saying, listen, you had no hope, you had no future, but you have found it through Jesus Christ. You've come out of darkness and into light. By God's grace, stop looking around, trusting God. By God's grace, you are what you are. By God's grace, quit trying to change lanes and become somebody else. Have you ever noticed in the Olympics and in races, some of you are track folks, all right? One of the longest things to sit through as a parent. Woo-wee, all right? The lanes are 42 inches wide. It's about right here. If you're wondering how I know that, I measured and I practiced, all right? It's about right here, 42 inches. 42-inch wide, and the racers, they get down. If you've noticed, these guys are, are usually taller than I am, and they get down these lanes, and they're super athletic, and they've got this one lane, and they've got 100 yards, 100 yards dash to go in roughly 10 seconds. And one of the things they have to do is stay in their lane. They, they hear it. They run. They start taking off. But here's the problem with us. I'm gonna trust in who Jesus Christ is. I'm gonna be content. I'm not gonna look at the faults of others. I'm gonna stay right here. The the gun sounds, life happens, and what do we start doing? Going, man, I sure like what they have over here. Oh, I sure will they like what they have over in this lane. Did did you know that I I like what she does and I want to have that boyfriend or I I want as many children as they have. I'm going to go back and forth and Scripture says you are chosen, you are holy, you are a son and daughter of God Almighty. Stay in your lane. The way God has created you, not comparing to others and saying God use the gifts that I have. So a couple things. Fighting comparison. Celebrate the giftedness of others and use the gifts that God has given you. Celebrate the gifts of others. You want to know how to kind of pull yourself out of comparison? Start celebrating the giftedness of others and use the gifts that God has given you. Start looking around at others and say, when you see something that you wish you had, take a moment to praise God that he made them in that way, that he put pots on that, handles on that pot, that he created them that way and look at them and say, gosh, you are so amazing, you're so gifted, you're so talented, you're so patient, you're so kind. I'm so glad God made you that way and you'll begin to feel the spirit of comparison leave as you celebrate the giftedness of others and you use the giftedness that God has placed in you. Galatians 1.10, our fighting words are these. Let's look at them one last time. Say them with me. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ.